A reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication. Impurity. Licentiousness. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmities. Strife. Jealousy. Anger. Quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Hear the word of the Lord. Just pray. Loving God, I do pray that the words that I share with your beloved people this morning will truly bless them. Amen. Just move this so I don't drop it. (laughs) While I was uh, pondering the focus of my sermon today, just what perhaps I'd be talking about with grace, I pictured Stuart looking at the kaleidoscope. Now, 
when I was very much younger, I actually had a kaleidoscope, and you could hold them up there and just twist them around. So I was picturing Stuart looking at the kaleidoscope last week and seeing, grace is amazing, which he preached on so powerfully. So I thought, wow, right, I'll just have a look and I'll just move it slightly like that. <gasps> Instead of something positive like grace is beautiful, there before my very eyes was grace is risky. How could grace be risky? St Paul is adamant that the gospel is all about grace. Through faith in Jesus Christ and faith expressing itself through love. That sounds beautiful, doesn't it? And much to be desired. It's certainly more appealing than the concept of works, especially having to obey the Jewish food laws and being circumcised to be accepted by God. So from that point of view, it's fair enough that Paul should be furious with the group of Jewish converts, which he called the Judaizers, who were demanding that the Gentile believers should keep the Jewish laws to be obedient Jews, basically, before they could become Christians. But from another point of view, it was insensitive or even arrogant of Paul to be so rude, given that he had experienced multiple paradigm shifts since that fateful day that he was on the road to Damascus to locate, arrest, torture, and kill the followers of Jesus. Now he had heard the voice of Jesus and was blinded by the light that emanated from his being. He discovered that Jesus and his followers were one because Jesus had said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Then he was made physically blind led away to a strange place and left alone in tomb-like darkness for three days and nights until with great grace, Ananias, who would have lost loved ones and fellow believers because of Saul, forgave him. And not only that, he gave him new sight. The description is that from his eyes previously, like scales came off his eyes, so he could see everything in a different way. And then he baptised him. Even though as a Pharisee he kept the law, he knew that he did not deserve to be forgiven. It was only because of Jesus, Jesus' grace, through Ananias, that he was set free a new person, no longer Saul, but Paul. In addition, Paul claimed that the gospel of grace that he taught to him came by revelation directly from Christ. But for those new Jewish converts, there was a lot at stake if Paul was wrong. 
They knew the scriptures. They had heard them read in the synagogues. They had learnt them off by heart. And they remembered God's words in places like Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 16, where God says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, his decrees, and his law. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, I declare that you will be utterly destroyed. Now, before we go any further, you and I have to be careful because it's very easy for us to think like Paul and criticise these Jewish Christians. But we have to remember that they would not have seen or heard Jesus in the flesh and there was no New Testament for them to read. We also have to remember that they had no access to the Gospels as they hadn't even been written. And we forget that the letters predated the Gospels generally by decades. So we can understand that for the Jewish believers to cease keeping the law and putting their faith in grace, whatever Paul meant by that, was very risky indeed. And even worse, there was the risk that they would actually renounce their faith in Christ altogether. That would have been a grievous loss for them and for the church, especially if they warned others of the risk involved in putting their trust in grace rather than obeying God's commands as set out in their scriptures. And this is exactly what was happening as shown in our reading today, where a very concerned Paul writes concerning God's covenant with Abraham. I'm sorry. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery to the law. Then there's the nature of grace itself. In chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes concerning God's covenant with Abraham and his seed that God in his grace gave to Abraham through a promise. His grace. So grace is an attribute of God and therefore it is a very great spiritual power which can be risky if it's trifled with. This was expressed beautifully by C.S. Lewis in his remarkable book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Some of you may know it as Narnia. One of the children, namely Lucy, was still not sure about Aslan, the lion, who is Jesus. If you go to Revelation, you hear that he's the lion of Judah. So this is 
uh, part of the scriptures. So she questions Mr. Beaver. Is he a man? No, answers Mr. Beaver. He's a lion, the lion, and fearsome. Is he safe, she asks. Of course not, exclaims Mr. Beaver, but he is good. So Paul addresses those who have abandoned grace and by being circumcised have chosen to trust the law again in order to be justified. Now to be justified means to be declared not guilty because they have lived according to the requirements of being in relationship with God. When the Bible talks about that, that's what it's referring to. Have they lived according to the requirements of being in a relationship with God? But he warns them just very, very much, firstly. Firstly, he says, you can't do this for yourself. This is because to think you can save yourself by works is arrogant. It is the sin of presumption. So straight away, you are under sin again. Indeed, you have been alienated from Christ. So you have fallen away from grace. Grace, which is an attribute of God and therefore is an attribute of Christ. This is indeed risky, for the system of grace and the system of law are incompatible. And it's tragic, because Jesus' death will profit them nothing, and it makes Christ's sacrifice worthless. For they have fallen from grace into legalism. Only God through Christ, can save them by his grace, which is always undeserved. Let me repeat that last bit. It is always undeserved. Somehow, though, I think this can be a tripping point for two reasons. Firstly, because the thought of people who have hurt us or those we love or have caused great suffering in the world, people like Hitler and someone else I can think of at the moment, being saved undeservedly by God's grace is unthinkable. And secondly, because it's just not how the world works. Society has always worked with the carrot and the whip. You do the right thing and you're rewarded. You do the wrong thing and in some way you're punished. You suffer the consequences. Now, one delightful example is shown in every episode of The Dog Box. I don't know if any of you watch that, but it's quite delightful. Where the lovely committed staff do all they can to heal and train the puppies and dogs who have been placed in their care. When a puppy or a dog is fairly new, a staff member will take them out for a walk and then sit down and with a smile, warm eye contact and a warm voice will say, 
sit. Now they give them another go. Sit. Now if the dog sits, it will be rewarded immediately by even warmer eyes and a bigger smile and a warmer voice. And they will say, good boy. Isn't that the way people say it? Yeah, good girl. You're such a good boy. And what happens exactly at that same time? Food. Yeah, they get food all the time. I think the, the people there carry food in their pockets <laughs> ready to hand out straight away. So of course it learns to sit on command very quickly. For if it doesn't sit, it won't experience any of those positive things. Uh, especially the treat. And secondly, a very familiar example occurs daily at the town centre. When mum brings a child with her while she does the food shopping. Yes, I can see it already ringing in bells here. Now, she says with a smile, if you are very good while I do the shopping, I will buy you an ice cream. Okay? All right, if the child cooperates, he or she will receive an even bigger smile and a hug. You're such a good girl. You've been such a good boy. And receive the promised ice cream. But if the child plays up, it will get the cross face, the stern eyes, change of everything, and a rebuke, and no ice cream. And then it screams crazily. And we've all heard them, and we all feel terrible for the mother when that happens. And unfortunately, this belief that if we do our bit, then God is obliged to reward us, has been taught by many churches and has been accepted as the norm by members of their congregations. People will admit that they are in need of God's grace in some form, but a belief has been established whereby the sinner can either mitigate or this deserved punishment, or at least give sort of God a bit of a nudge, hey, by their own efforts such as going to Mass every morning, being involved in religious activities, or doing good deeds so that they will enjoy a bigger and more gracious response from the Father. This certainly contradicts the true meaning of grace, namely undeserved favour, God's blessing on the unworthy. Then Paul warns the believers, you can't do whatever you like. This is because it's possible for them to think that having been set free from the law and saved by grace means that they have the freedom to do what they like. Yes, for those in Jesus Christ, says Paul, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. However, he also warns them that they must not use their freedom to indulge their sinful nature. For if they do, they will not only be treating with scorn the blessings that are theirs because of God's grace through Christ, they will also forfeit their inheritance of the kingdom of God. Indeed, treating grace with arrogance and scorn 
is very, very risky. And how sad it is that through the centuries, so many Christians have ignored this warning and caused so much suffering for the most vulnerable people for whom they are responsible or supposedly in their care, whether in the church, the school, the workplace or the home. And how sad it is because it has led to countless people giving up their faith and rejecting the gospel of grace altogether. Hopefully in our time, society's awareness of the scourge of abuse in general will bring the perpetrators to justice and create ways to protect and empower those who are most vulnerable. And the third thing that Paul says, you can't do it alone. To be righteous means that in God's eyes, they are living according to the divine standard and are thus declared to stand in a right relationship with God. In some ways, I think living this way is much more demanding than keeping the Jewish laws. But the Holy Spirit will be there for them. And if they are led by the Spirit, they are not under law. So Paul exhorts them and us, of course, to live by the Spirit and finishes with the beautiful words, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And implied, grace is truly, when grace is truly honoured, it is definitely not risky. Amen.